probably one of one of my favorite books uh, in Scripture. Uh, certainly, a very famous book. There's several stories that we get out of it, and uh, it is a it is a prophetic book, but uh, has some very exciting stories. And by the way, uh, anybody that says the Bible is boring hasn't really read it. To be honest with you. Uh, you can't read these stories and not be excited by them. I mean, they're just amazing to watch. The name Daniel means God is my judge. Daniel is one of the few characters of Scripture that nothing anywhere is written negatively about him. He is an example of righteousness. And in fact, uh, three different times, Ezekiel, who was one of his contemporaries, uh, refers to him and mentions him as an example of righteousness. Daniel was a tremendous fellow. He purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's meat. When the decree was given, if you remember the story, what led up to his being thrown into the lion's den under uh, Darius, the uh, Persian uh, king at the time, uh, they had uh, the, the, the wise men who were trying to get at him said, we cannot find any fault with him. If we're going to find any fault with him, it's going to have to be in regards to his worship, his, his God. And so they went to the king, and they made it illegal for a man to pray to any other man other than the king himself for 30 days. And, of course, Daniel wasn't going to do that. He loved his Lord. He was going to do what he uh, was going to do. And the Bible says that he went uh, to his window, and he, uh, he put his eyes towards Jerusalem. He prayed uh, every time, three times a day. The Bible says this, as he did aforetime. This was his habit. It was his daily routine, and he was not going to be swayed from it. So man was, uh, Daniel was a man of courage, he was a man of conviction, he was a man of no compromising. He had great faith, he had um, uh, just a, a tremendous amount of character about him. Daniel uh, was carried off into Babylonian captivity uh, at 16 years of age. Could you imagine that? 16 years old, and you're taken away from mom and dad, you're taken away from your, your hometown, you're taken away from, in that, and they had the temple there in Jerusalem, and they uh, worshiped there. And uh, so all of your religious uh, roots are torn up, and they transplanted him in Babylon. Uh, if you'll remember back um, when, the two, two, or when the division took place and the two, uh, the two uh, kingdoms uh, came out of Israel, we had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Uh, the northern kingdom was made up of ten tribes, and the southern kingdom... Of two, If you'll remember, the northern kingdom was more wicked, and they were brought under captivity earlier by the Assyrians uh, by a number of years. Judah was at least a little bit more uh, righteous, uh, not a lot. They still had a lot of bad kings that led them into idolatry. But God prolonged their captivity. And so the Assyrians had, for quite some time, already had uh, the northern kingdom under tribute. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes on the scene. He's, it's actually Nebuchadnezzar II. Uh, comes on the scene as the king of Babylon. Now, Babylon was uh, is an ancient city. If you'll read back, even before Abraham, uh, Babylon was in existence. If you'll remember, um, after the flood, there was a lot of uh, wickedness still growing. Nimrod uh, comes on the scene. Some of you know the Old Testament character of Nimrod. And uh, they build the, the Tower of Babel. All of that takes place in Babylon. This is that city. And uh, so they, it's an ancient city. It's been around for a long, long time. They've never really been a world power since the, the confusing of the tongues. Uh, they kind of went their way back then, and they, you don't hear a lot about them uh, after the confusing of the tongues. 
um, until this time period. And Nebuchadnezzar uh, II comes on the scene. He is the king of that city. And he defeats Nineveh. Now, if you can associate Nineveh, uh, that's the city that Jonah goes to and preaches. And the Bible says the whole city gets saved and uh, from the king down. And it was a large city, probably well over a million people in that city. And this was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. So Nebuchadnezzar begins uh, overpowering the Assyrians by capturing Nineveh, and he does that. The second thing he does is he goes down and he defeats the armies of the Egyptians, and in those two moves becomes the world power. He becomes an empire, if you will, at that time, the first of four major empires that we're going to see in the book of Daniel. And uh, so Nebuchadnezzar comes to Jerusalem. Uh, they are in a practice then, and you've got to realize when they conquered a country, they didn't just come in and slay all the people. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the Babylonians, and then later on the Persians and the Greeks were really good about this. They would go into a city, and when they captured it, they would find the, the chiefest of the, of the people, the, the people that were well-educated, they were affluent, they had influence, um, very knowledgeable, and they would take the best of them, the best of the best, the cream of the crop, and they would bring them back to their capital city, and they would try to... Uh, change their identity and get them to, uh, a lot of them integrated into that uh, empire, into their, uh, their captivity, and live, live great lives from then on. Uh, they didn't feel like they were in captivity. And such was the case with Daniel. Uh, he and the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and a group of others in that first time that Nebuchadnezzar came, they all get captured. They're brought back to Babylon. They go through three years of training in the king's court. And uh, the, one of the reasons <clears throat> that they, uh, they took Daniel and, uh, and his uh, friends was found in chapter 1 and verse number 4. If you'll take your moment and look in your Bibles, we'll look at this. One of the reasons Nebuchadnezzar carries them off into captivity uh, is found in verse number 4. Um, the king in verse 3 tells uh, Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel in the king's seed and of the princes. So again, he's wanting the best of the best here. And this was the requirements. He said, children in whom was no blemish, they had to be well favored, they had to be skillful in all wisdom, they had to be cunning in knowledge, according to verse number 4. They had to understand, uh, have an understanding of science, and that was a big thing in Babylon. Um, they had captured a lot of folks from the Chaldeans, that were uh, into astronomy, and uh, they took their astronomy that they knew and made a worship out of it, and that's where we get our astrology from uh, today. It mostly was uh, started by the Chaldean uh, group, but uh, they were uh, masters of science, supposedly. They were the cutting edge of those that were knowledgeable of science. So, uh, again, these, uh, they, they wanted men that they could bring in, and mix in with their scientists and expand the knowledge of the kingdom. Uh, so they had to have an understanding of science. They had to have ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and uh, whom they might teach the learning in the tongue of the Chaldeans. And so uh, Daniel does this. The book of Daniel is divided into uh, three basic sections. The first section is, is chapter 1, and it just basically gives a personal history of Daniel himself, a little bit about him. Uh, what takes place from the time he's about 16 years old, uh, leading in. Then chapters 2 through 7, uh, Daniel changes. He writes almost all of the, the book in Hebrew, 
Um, but chapters 2 through 7, he writes in Aramaic. Um, and he does this because he's writing to, and it's, it's the old style uh, uh, of uh, Aramaic, that uh, he is trying to uh, uh, write the prophecies that God has given to him about his plan for judgment on the Gentiles. So chapters 2 through 7 uh, are dealing with dreams and interpretations towards the Gentiles. Uh, from chapter 8 through chapter 12, he switches back to Hebrew again, and these are prophecies that are concerning Israel specifically. So he starts with Hebrew in uh, chapter 1, switches to Aramaic in chapters 2 through 7, goes back to Hebrews, uh, Hebrew, the Hebrew language in chapters 8 through 12. Um, the theme of the book, if you take the overall idea of the book, other than the fact that it has over 100, this is amazing to me, it's only 12 chapters long, it has over 100 specific prophecies that were historical events that we can look back on and say they were fulfilled absolutely 100%, and they were filled literally. They were not filled, you know, sometimes people make a prophecy or a prediction uh, some people talk about a guy years ago named Nostradamus and how he made some predictions. And if you read into it this way, then this historical event might fit that prophecy. These weren't that way. These were specific prophecies that, that literally and accurately came true, over a hundred of them in only twelve chapters of the book of Daniel, uh, which is amazing to me. Very, very specific time frames given literally down almost to the very second or the day uh, of these things uh, happening, and uh, just some very, very clear prophecies. And so the overall uh, gist of the book is to uh, uh, show God's sovereign control over world events. Now, I want to take just a moment to deal with God's sovereignty, because when we talk about this, there are times when... People can say, okay, the sovereignty of God means that uh, He controls every nuance, every little thing in every aspect, and man is determined, and there's nothing you and I can do to change that determination of what God is doing. That is a, a confusing issue in a lot of ways. We call that Calvinism, meaning that, that man doesn't even have a choice whether he gets saved or not. Uh, that is not a true and an accurate statement. Determinism is not true when it comes to men and God's interactions with men. God has given every man a free will. He's given everyone a free choice. However, God does have a sovereign plan for the time that He has in existence for the world. And those are things that will not uh, be changed uh, the times may be expanded, they may be shrunk, but you can rest assured everything that is on his timeline is going to happen. And if he gives a specific time, then that will not be changed. It will be on that time period. Very, very important that we understand that there is an element of God's sovereignty that is very real. It is not going to be changed by, by man. The fact, of the, fact, uh, the fact of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and rapturing those that are believers away is going to happen. There's nothing man can do that will stop that from happening. That's his plan. He can do as he chooses. Um, however, there are a lot of things in our life that we can do that may not be God's will for our, our lives. And we can mess up. 
and we can reap the consequences of those things. So for, for, for us to get to the point where we say, well, I messed up in my life, but I'm a predetermined being and God didn't even give me a choice in it, so it's not my fault, that is not true. Man has a free will. Man has a choice. And so when it comes to God dealing with men, we have free will. When it comes to His plan for time and the world events, God is very much sovereignly in control. We do not change those events. Uh, he, he speaks very clearly here of four different world empires that He causes to rise and fall in His time. Some of them He gives very specific time frames to. And they happened exactly as He said. So I think it's very, very important for us to understand this issue of sovereignty, sovereignty of God and the free will of man. They are not opposing each other. They are complementary to each other as long as we understand the events that God is sovereign over and the events that He willingly gives man a free will on. And we need to understand that. There's no man that is ever born that God says he cannot be saved. There's never a man that's born where he says he's got to be saved, he's already saved, and he doesn't have to do anything about it. Man has to make that choice. Man has to have a free will. But uh, I'm not going to be able to do anything to cause God to say I'm not going to have a rapture any longer. That's, that's sovereignty of God. He certainly has got that plan. Um, the, the millennial reign. Uh, all of the end-time events, those are going to happen. And they're going to happen exactly as he said. <clears throat> so, again, don't get tripped up over the phrase or the terminology sovereignty. Just understand uh, what we mean when we talk about the sovereignty of God. Uh, we're not saying that every little, you know, if your car breaks down on the road, um, there could be a possibility that God was preventing you from an accident down the road. But it doesn't necessarily have to be. It could just be that you forgot to change your oil. 8,000 miles ago, you know, uh, or you didn't put air in the tire. And, uh, you know, there are times that God does intervene. I have no doubt about that, but not every time. And so we need to understand those things, all right? Uh, we are not predetermined beings. We do have a free will. We do have a choice. And uh, very important that we understand that truth. But uh, this book is very clearly a picture uh, of God's sovereignty and his overall plan for mankind. Uh, he deals with a tremendous amount of, of uh, end-time event prophecies, his plan for the Gentiles during this time, his plan for the, the Jews during this time. Very, very specific, over a hundred of them that are very clearly stated, very clearly fulfilled, and some that are yet to be fulfilled. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that. If you've been coming on Wednesday nights, we've dealt with a lot of that at the early part of uh, studying the book of Revelation and prophecy. And how all of that ties in. Daniel 70 weeks and how those are broken down. How that 69 of those have already passed. Uh, it was 69 weeks of years to the day that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ entered into Jerusalem uh, on Palm Sunday and, uh, and fulfilled that prophecy. Then there's a great pause here. We've had a pause now for a little over 2,000 years. And uh, the 70th week is yet to come. And that is the time of the tribulation period. And again, this is all clearly spoken of in the book of Daniel. Very important that we understand it. Uh, so Daniel's deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. He's trained in Nebuchadnezzar's court. He determines to remain faithful to God. And because of that, God gives them great favor in the, in the eyes of the king. Daniel serves all of the 70 years uh, that Israel is in captivity. He serves under three different kings. He serves under Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Belshazzar. 
And then he also serves under uh, Darius, who was the king of the Medes and the Persians during the time uh, of the lion's den uh, uh, issue that took place there. Um, and because of his faithfulness, because of his uh, decision and, and purposing in his heart and that of his friends, God gives them a very unique amount of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, he brings the favor of the king on them, and they are raised to positions of leadership in the kingdom. Um, God always blesses faithfulness. And he puts men that he can trust in the places that he needs them to be. And uh, there are very specific things that take place here that I think God specifically uh, gave uh, them the ability to be where they were at at the time they were there uh, to accomplish his purpose in that kingdom. Um, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, these are the four main empires. They come and they go. They come on the scene, they pass off the scene. But we find in the book of Daniel that one of the prophecies he deals with throughout it is that the kingdom of uh, Christ is an eternal kingdom. And it's going to be established forever. And even though other kingdoms may come and go, his kingdom is an eternal kingdom. And uh, there uh, certainly is a, a wonderful truth that is displayed there. The, uh, the plan that God has for the Gentiles, <clears throat> he, he, Nebuchadnezzar becomes very proud. And... Uh, Daniel talks to him about one of the dreams where he's the head of the image, if you can remember that. And Nebuchadnezzar becomes very proud and elevated because of that. And so he decides, hey, I'm going to build an image. You know, I'm going to build this big image. And I'm going to make everybody worship it. And that's where we get the story of the three Hebrew boys. They did not bow to the image that Nebuchadnezzar made. And so we have the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego taking place during that time. However, God told Nebuchadnezzar through Daniel... He said, there's going to come a time where you're going to be so haughty, so proud of yourself, that I'm going to abase you. He said, and God told Nebuchadnezzar, he said, I'm not going to take the kingdom from you, which is pretty amazing. But he said, for seven years you're going to wander in the fields like a wild beast on all fours. And your sense and your reason is going to be gone from you. And sure enough, it happens. He's walking through his palace one day. He's looking at all the wealth and all the things he had conquered, and he says, boy, I am great, and Babylon is great, and, and God strikes him right then. And he's humbled, and for seven years he wanders the fields uh, like a wild beast. And when God gives him his reason back, uh, turn with me to Daniel chapter 4 for a minute. I personally believe that one day when we get to heaven, we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar there. I'm going to tell you why. Chapter 4 of the book of Daniel is not written by Daniel. Chapter 4 of the book of Daniel is written by Nebuchadnezzar the king. Now, there are instances in Scripture where the writers of a book quoted uh, heathen, unsaved people, told us what they said. This is different. This is written in first person. Chapter 4 is written by Nebuchadnezzar the king. And it's interesting because when the Bible talks about the inspiration of Scripture, it says that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Meaning that chapter 4 is inspired. That means that Nebuchadnezzar at the time of the writing would have had to be one of these holy men of God that was moved by the Holy Spirit of God to pen these words. And I believe we see some of that coming out in chapter 4. Let's look in verse number 1. The Bible says, Nebuchadnezzar the king, unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. Notice he says this in verse 2. 
I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. He recognized. Nebuchadnezzar didn't, didn't think that way when the three Hebrew boys said, we would rather follow our God than bow to you. But he does think that way now, doesn't he? As we get to the end of chapter number 4, let's see if I think that's where I want to be. Now look in verse number... Uh, uh, let's go down to verse number 6. Uh, let's go to verse number, uh, I'm sorry, verse number 34 of chapter 4. And at the end of the days, this is the time that he was walking around like a beast and eating grass and all that kind of stuff. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lift up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High. And I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my lords sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Sounds to me like God is blessing him for something, doesn't it? Doesn't sound like a heathen, unsaved king here, does it? Now, now in verse number 37, I love this. He says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth, and His ways judgment, and those that walk in pride He is able to abase. We find a difference in Nebuchadnezzar, don't we? A change, if you will. A big change. Folks, you can come on in. Don't, you don't have to stand back there. You're welcome. Come on in. Not a problem at all. And um, so I think one of these days we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. I think it's going to be interesting to sit and talk with him. I really do. And uh, to learn some of these things. Um, God gives his prophetic plan to Israel in chapters 8 through 12. Um, there's a, a lot of things in reference to Alexander the Great in chapter number 8, verse number 21. Um, there's a, a little horn that is spoken of in chapter 8, verse number 9. It's Antioch, Antiochus Epiphanes. And uh, Daniel's prophecies of the 70 weeks, including the Messiah coming to provide the atoning death on the cross, uh, is prophesied. And the chronology of God's perfect plan from that point all the way through the end time events is given. We see a very clear uh, chronology or order of events that are going to happen. Um, the key uh, keys to Daniel, the theme is God's program for Israel revealed. The key verses are chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. Let's read those very quickly. Daniel chapter number 2, verses 20 and 22, or through 22. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His. And He changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise, and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. And then also down to verse number 44 is another key verse in the same chapter. Verse number 44. 
And in the days of these things shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Speaking of Christ's kingdom. And while these four world empires became great and powerful empires, the dream that Daniel had of the statue, uh, there was a great stone that rolled and destroyed the statue. And the kingdom of Christ is certainly uh, an eternal kingdom. Uh, the time of, or the Christ of Daniel, uh, he's pictured in chapter 2, verses uh, 34 and 35, uh, and uh, also in verse number 44, uh, speaking of the great stone that is going to crush the kingdoms of this world. In chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, uh, we'll take a moment to read that one. We have just a moment here left of class time. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, capital S there, came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him, And his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, uh, which shall not, that which shall not be destroyed. And so we see here that the Son of Man is given dominion over his kingdom by the Ancient of Days. And this is, again, a clear picture of the Son of Man being the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 9, verses 25 and 26, we won't take time to read it for sake of time. I do have them in the notes, and they are back there on the table if you'd like to have the notes from this morning. Uh, the coming of the Messiah uh, till the time that he's going to be cut off is given very clearly. And so, again, pointing to the coming of the Messiah. Um, in chapter 10, verses 5 through 9, uh, Daniel uh, has uh, a vision. And the messenger that comes to him, more than likely because of the description given of him, that looks very similar to what we find in Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 to 16, most likely is a picture of Christ himself coming to talk to Daniel at that point. And uh, there could be some people that would disagree with that. That's fine. I'm just saying that possibility is certainly there. The descriptions are very, very similar and uh, would certainly lend itself to thinking that it is the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the prophecy of the 70 weeks uh, very clearly points to the Lord Jesus Christ. 69 of those weeks to the day till he showed up on the scene. And uh, one week left to go, uh, which we will find uh, happening at the end of time as the uh, tribulation period uh, takes place. All right, let's go ahead and stand, and we'll be dismissed. I do have the notes from today uh, back there on the table. You're welcome to them. And uh, if you'd like to have those and study a little further. But Daniel's a wonderful book, and an awful lot in there. I wish we had more time to delve into it. Maybe one of these days we'll do an in-depth study of the book and uh, enjoy that time together. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for your word. We pray that you'll bless it and use it. And as we study uh, and survey these books to know a little bit of the times, the settings, a little bit of the details about them, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have a better understanding of the context of each of these uh, passages as we read through them, to be able to visualize and understand some of the things that were going on, some of the reasons things were stated the way that they were. And I pray that you'd help it to give us a better understanding, a better handle, a better use of your word. And so guide us and direct us as we study it and learn from it. Bless the service to follow, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.